about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you in my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow the rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Thanks, Ellie. Well, great to be with you this evening and great to be looking at this passage from Galatians, this last passage in Galatians. We're going to concentrate on verses 12 through 15 as we think about it this tonight. Um, and it's good to be thinking about what it does it mean to be gospel free, but the, particularly the issue of boasting. Um, and we're going to be thinking a little bit more about the whole thing of boasting. You'll have to excuse me, I'm a little bit tired. I had a wedding yesterday. It was actually a great delight. Uh, my niece uh, was married, and this was the third in this family. So there's a nephew and two nieces, and I've taken each of their weddings. So it's an absolute delight, really, to be able to do that. Although, can I say, it's pretty awkward when you're the uncle and you're doing the marriage preparation. But anyway, uh, it, was, it was kind of uh, a lot of fun as well, and the, uh, the family are not particularly Christian, so actually it's been a wonderful thing to be able to preach the gospel uh, each time we've spoke, although one person came to me afterwards, they'd been at each wedding, and they said, oh, you've got three different sermons for weddings. Oh, my God. Oh dear, what do you think ministers do? Anyway, <laughs> it was kind of nice. He must he obviously listened to the other ones, which was actually a really good thing. Let me pray as we come to God's word. Uh, Father God, we thank you and praise you for the great privilege we have of looking at your word this evening. And we pray that as we do, that you would continue to transform us and change us and make us into your likeness. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as uh, has been mentioned already, we're coming to the end of this series of, of Galatians and po the Apostle Paul has been writing to the church in Galatia. Uh, he's expressed in the beginning chapters this absolute astonishment that uh, people have been open to Judaizers who have led people into this uh, position where they're coming under the works of the law, that they've somehow misunderstood grace 
um, and they've started to have to do things in order to earn their salvation. He's laboured through this in the, in the chapters um, both 3 and 4, just thinking about what that means and theologically what that means, uh, particularly in the context of the people of Israel. He's really unpacked that. And then in chapters 5 and 6, uh, we've started to see a little bit more about what does that actually mean practically for the uh, church in Galatia and what does it mean practically for us as well. And so this evening, um, as we come to this conclusion, he kind of brings a whole lot of things together. And one of the main themes that he has is this notion of boasting. Um, and hopefully this will work. This needs to be clicked on and maybe it should work. Now the thing about boasting is it happened in a very different context to this day and age. Um, the thing about boasting these days is we kind of frown on people boasting a bit. And I think that's actually because of passages like this. Um, these passages have had influences over cultures and societies over many years. And that sense of boasting is not something that, well, particularly Australians feel comfortable with, but other people as well. And that's because we're living in a kind of society that's been affected by the cross, been affected by these statements. But back in the day when Paul was writing, boasting was actually quite seen as quite normal. <laughs> we're stuck again. Uh, Beautiful. We might have to... Yeah, okay, we'll keep doing that. Okay, now in terms of thinking about boasting, the ancient Greeks and Romans thought nothing of praising themselves in public, uh, better still getting others to praise them. It was taken for granted that those with merit would seek honour due to them, as John Dixon notices in his book on Humilitas. Uh, it was quite a normal thing to expect to people to boast about you and to gather people around who might boast about you. Uh, Emperor Augustus was one of these such figures, uh, he put together a 2,500-word essay in which he outlines 35 reasons that you should be boasting about him. And so he distributed this amongst the, uh, the empire, and this is what he said. Uh, for example, um, at the age of 19, my, on my own responsibility and at my own expense, I raised an army which I successfully championed the liberty of the republic um, when it was oppressed by the tyranny of a faction. And so he's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. Um, I'm wonderful. I deserve all the glory uh, because of what I have done. And so it's into this context that Paul is writing, and it's, it's quite shocking what he's saying. Uh, he's challenging this whole way of thinking, and he's particularly challenging the Judaizers as they boast as well. And so come with me as we look at chapter uh, verse 12. You might notice just before verse 11, he starts off by saying, see what large letters I use. Um, I kind of had to think about what that meant, really, what large letters I use. It felt, felt a bit like one of those older relatives you have that, you know, you, you see on Facebook and they use the large letters to emphasize a point rather than realizing it actually sounds angry. Um, and so initially you think maybe this is an angry point, but actually he's using large letters to make a point just like your older rel relative on Facebook. Um, and he's trying to say, this is in my hand, this is important, this is what I am saying. And he goes on to say these words. He says, those who want to impress people by the means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. 
They want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. Now, there's a whole lot about circumcision in this passage. Uh, Really what he's doing is identifying something that means that people are subjecting themselves to the Jewish law. So think of it in those terms. I realise circumcision is not something we talk about an awful lot, but think of it in those terms as something that people are forcing others to subject themselves to the law, the Judaistic law. Um, But what it turns out is that what they're trying to do is to impress people by means of the flesh, and they're compelling people to be circumcised, particularly Gentiles who have become Christians. And the reason for it is that they may be boasting about their circumcision in the flesh. Now, that's quite interesting because I think that links back to something Paul said last week. And if you were with us, we were talking about uh, photobombers, you know, people who jump into the picture and steal the glory of the picture. And last week, we noticed that um, Paul used this term conceited in uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, where he said, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Now, the thing about being conceited is it draws honour to yourself. Uh, It's kind of like a boast. And the result of honour or boasting is provoking. And we talked a little bit about that last week. And if you want to think about that a bit more, go back to the sermon that we did last week. Well, that's exactly what's happening here. These people are boasting. They're wanting to impress people. They're being conceited. And what's the result? They're provoking or they're compelling other people to be circumcised. And so they're seeking their own honour in that context. I think that's an interesting insight into the way these things are working. Now, Paul says, though, actually, I understand what's behind this. I understand what's, if you like, the sin beneath the sin. There's this boasting. This is the kind of thing we're hearing about. But actually, there's something deeper going on in this boasting. And this is what's going on. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law. Um, His point is, of course, they're hypocritical. Uh, They're demanding that other people keep the law, the Jewish law. And in fact, they're not living up to the law. Uh, They're not actually being saved by living by the law because they're actually not keeping the law and they can't keep the law. But he's also pointing it out that in some twisted kind of way, the Judaizers are demanding these things of the new Gentile Gentile Christians to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. We'll go on to talk about this a little bit more in a second, but the cross of Christ is obviously a scandal to the Jewish leaders. And perhaps the sense here is that those who are uh, Jewish people trying to see these Gentiles be circumcised are trying to say, well, look, uh, if, you, if you at least get circumcised, then we can try and, try and treat you as Jews that have come from Gentiles into being Jews and therefore you'll receive some protection and you won't receive that kind of persecution because the Jews will persecute you because of the scandal of the cross. And so there's deeper motives going on here, deeper things going on behind the scenes. And in the end, I think probably what the easiest thing to say is that they are seeking approval. Whatever the case is behind what's going on here, the people who are Judaizers are seeking to impress people seeking to impress people above them. And they're wanting to boast 
about the way that they've ensured that Gentile Christians become like Jewish people. And so it's about them. It's actually not about the Gentile Christians who are becoming Christians. It's not about God's glory. They're photobombing. They're stealing the glory of God and they're conceited in their boasting. Now, it's worth thinking about how does that work out in this day and age? How can we become conceited in our boasting? And that's a pretty challenging thing to think through. I think of two uh, kind of applications here. One is the very personal one. Um, And that is to think through our own lives and to think through what is it that we actually boast in? Uh, Perhaps we don't say this out loud. We're Australians after all and we don't tend to draw attention to ourselves. We don't like that kind of thing. But in our heads, what is that we're boasting? What what, What do we find our identity in? What do we run to? What do we think of in terms of ourselves and how good we are and what we've achieved and what we've done and and perhaps what we earn, or perhaps what positions we have, or how well-behaved we are. There's all kinds of different things we can boast in, which are actually about being conceited, about stealing, stealing the glory away from God, and boasting about what we've done in the flesh. Now, there's another way of thinking about this. Uh, certainly in the church in Galatia, it was really tiny. And you can imagine uh, the people there, it's just, you know, a fledgling kind of church. But these days, there's a different kind of narrative, isn't there? There's the kind of narrative which talks about the idea that the church had its glory day, that the church um, had a golden age in which lots of good things happened and uh, the church had huge influence on society. And now what we see uh, even more and more is the demise of Christianity. And certainly the events this week with George Pell, which just make my stomach curl and just really sadden me to see actually not only him, but just it's a representative of so many things that have gone on in churches and in institutions, and it's just appalling. Um, and and under, you know, the church is under God's judgment. It's, uh, I don't know what you did when you heard the news this week, but I certainly uh, found myself praying for all those who have been victims of these situations. Just, oh wow. And, you know, I get why people are very angry with the church and with uh, people in the church. At this wedding yesterday, I was talking to some people across from me and um, they had kids in a church school and they were just saying to me, yeah, we're thinking of pulling them out. And I get that. I get that. It's appalling. And so we have this sense that, well, there was a golden age and there's a demise in our Christian world and our, what's in Christianity. And what I see that doing in terms of boasting, just to follow that thread through, is that for some of us, that means that we start to think of ourselves as being quite righteous, as being better than other people, as somehow being, you know, like we're not like them. And so we start to boast in our actions and our abilities and our thinking and what we say and do and and we kind of hold on to those things in the middle of what feels like a crisis. Of course, there are others who boast in a different kind of way and they see the demise of Christianity and boast in their ability to adjust their Christian belief, to accommodate the changes that are taking place in our society. 
And so there's a kind of boasting in the ability to adapt and to change. But these are conceited kinds of boasting. They're about us, it's about our honour, about who we are. It's not about being, bringing glory to Christ. And so that's where Paul goes when he says, what's the antidote for this kind of boasting? How do we actually deal with this kind of boasting? And this is what he says. Instead of conceding boasting, boast in the cross. He continues, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything What counts is the new creation. And it's so interesting what Paul is doing here. He's talking about the concept of boasting in the cross. Now, I guess it's a question of what does that look like? What does that mean to boast in the cross? Well, I think it's to understand the place of the cross in the Christian life. And we're just going to unpack that a little bit tonight. But it's really worth thinking through yourself. Do you understand the place of the cross uh, in your Christian life, in the way that you think? So, for example, I think if you want to boast in the cross, you must understand that the cross is deeply offensive. That it's a terrible, terrible scandal. Jews demand signs, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. It's a great scandal both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And why is it such a scandal? Well, it says something about who we are and what we need. It's offensive to those who are kind of uh, conservative because it says to uh, those who are conservative, whatever you do is not going to be good enough to get you in favour with God. No matter how much you live your life and how well you live your life, how moral you are in your actions, all you do will not add up to meeting God's just demands. And the cross reminds you of that because Jesus has to die in your place and take the punishment that you deserve. I sometimes use this illustration about swimming to New Zealand. Um, Imagine you were given the task of swimming to New Zealand. Uh, If I started out on that task, I would probably swim about 100 metres and drown. But if you kind of wanted to uh, get an Olympic swimmer, perhaps, maybe they could make it 10 kilometres, 20 kilometres, 30 kilometres. They'd get a long way. But the truth of the matter is they too would drown eventually. None of us can quite make it to New Zealand. No matter how much we try, no matter how much we try and swim and do our best, we won't make it. We all need the helicopter to come and rescue us. And so that's what the cross reminds us of that actually we will never make it, that we need Jesus, that we need him to die in our place. And so it's in a great offence to those who want to say, I can make it on my own. Of course, it's not only a great offence to those who say that they can make it on, it's also a great offence because it says, Jesus reminds us, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, but by me. In other words, Jesus is the only way we can be rescued. And of course, that sounds offensive when you want to be inclusive of different religions and different ideas and different philosophies. It's saying, actually, they won't get you there. They too will fail. 
They might provide you a little raft for a while, but that's going to break apart and you're never going to make it to New Zealand. It's a disaster. Don't put your trust in those things. And so you can see how the cross is so offensive in what it has to say. And it was offensive in the day of Paul. It's offensive now. But to understand what it means to boast in in the cross, you have to wrestle with that in your heart. You have to come to terms with its offence. You have to see what it is offering you and me. You have to grasp with your heart and with your soul just exactly what Jesus has done on your behalf, given the blackness of your own heart. And then you just want to boast in what Jesus has done. Look at his glory. Look at all the amazing things he's done for me. The fact that he would rescue me, a person who could not be rescued, who could not rescue himself. If the cross might be offensive, it is also, it's got to be central if we're going to boast in the cross. In 1 Corinthians 2, we read these words, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ crucified. Of course, Paul talks about lots of different things, but what he's saying is, I am focused on the cross. I've decided to know nothing except Jesus crucified. He's saying, I come and I become a Christian because of the cross. But as a Christian, I keep coming back to the cross. And when I think about the future, I think about the cross. It's central to my identity. It's central to where I'm going. It's central to my life. I'm glorying, I'm boasting in what Jesus has done on the cross for me. And I'm captivated by what he has done. It's not about me, it's about him. And he is central to my life. I'm going to boast in him. Finally, cross must be glorious. It must captivate us. May I never boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. What he's saying there is I'm no longer captivated by the glories of this world, the things that you might want to boast in in this world. I'm no longer captivated by um, the, the money, the finances, the positions, the people what this world has to offer, I no longer am going to glorify those things. They no longer have power over me. What actually has power over me is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's so fascinating is that that means that he starts to look at this world in a vastly different way. It means that those things cannot determine his life, cannot determine where he's going, cannot determine how he's going to live his life. He is actually free. He is gospel free. Free to live out the life that God's called him to live because no longer does he boast in those other things that give him significance. But he boasts in Jesus who gives him his significance. And so I think that has all kinds of impacts for our day-to-day decisions as we think about our workplaces, our friends, our families. What really matters is not those things that our world boasts in, 
but Jesus and what he's done for us. And it gives us this glorious freedom. And I think it actually gives us a very different perspective on the demise of Christianity. Uh, Some people have put it this way. We often think of a golden age and the demise of Christianity. Well, that's just a fake timeline. It's not the way things are working at all. Because God is renewing all things. He's in charge. He's sovereign. The cross tells us that. And the cross is central to our history and to our future. And so while at the moment it may feel like the tide is out, that there's a great cleansing going on, that things are being taken away, that the water is rushing out, what also is happening is that God is preparing a day when the water will just flow back in and will transform our lives and this world's lives. There's no such thing as a golden age of Christianity. There have been opportunities where things have been better than other times, but really, we often point back to places like the 1800s and the Great Revivals. It was pretty terrible stuff back then. Think of Jonathan Edwards' church where uh, lots of people were under 30. Uh, Because of economic circumstances, they weren't getting married. They could have got married, but they decided not to. And there was all kinds of problems with people sleeping together. And he's trying to preach to these people and say, let's let's go a different direction. Or I think of Charles Simeon in uh, Cambridge. Um, There were riots everywhere and big oak doors to keep people who were violent out And some of his students used to come and join him and uh, throw palings of whatever over the the window so that people would stop having sex beneath his window. I mean, these, these, these were not golden ages at all. But God was doing a mighty thing. The tide was out and he was going to bring something in. And I want to suggest to you that that's what God wants to do with us. Imagine if it started here. Imagine if in the most secular suburbs in Sydney, God was beginning a great work because we boasted in the cross. Imagine being that kind of gospel free and seeing the whole world reached for Jesus because we really grasped what the cross meant. That it was central to who we are. That we boast in the cross in all that we do. That it so captures our heart that we glory in it and we seek to rid ourselves of any other vain glory. That we might be a light of people who are gospel free in all that we do. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit 
naic.com.au.